Just glad to be here this morning, and uh, what a day this is. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is a special day, as the Sunday before Easter, or Resurrection Sunday. This is the Sunday known as Palm Sunday. This Sunday is the day that marks Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he rides on a a borrowed donkey. He enters the city of Jerusalem. A crowd is following him, and a crowd meets him and greets him as he enters the city, shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. To many that day, they hoped that he would be their expected king, their promised king. It's a monumental day for Israel. There are many passages we could turn to to reflect upon that day and its meaning, but today I've chosen Psalm 118. Psalm 118. If you would, turn to Psalm 118 and then stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Stand with me as we read Psalm 118. I will read and you will follow along there. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, just look on with someone near you. They won't mind. It'll be all right. (coughs) Psalm 118, I'm going to read the entire psalm as you follow along. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Isn't this a fantastic psalm? This is a powerful psalm for us to consider this morning. Today I would like to help you understand what this psalm is saying. I would like to help you understand the meaning of this psalm. I think sometimes too quickly when we're reading in the Bible, we read and we move to apply it to our lives without understanding the context, without understanding what's actually going on in the text. And this morning, I want to help you understand what's going on in this, in this text, and I do want to move to an application for us, but I want you to understand who this psalm is originally for and what it means. I would also like for you to be able to leave today with the ability to read this psalm in light of where you're sitting right now, today in your life. As I've already said, this psalm was not originally written to you. Has anybody ever told you that? Has anybody ever helped you with that? The Bible was not originally written to you. The Bible was written to a group of people, namely... Israel, God's people. This psalm that we just read was originally a psalm for the people of Israel. This is important. We're going to look at that. But I want you to leave this morning being able to sing this psalm and truly be able to rejoice in the truth that this psalm gives us. I have, I have several friends who probably know a tune to Psalm 118. Maybe some of you could help me with that. But if we're going to end up there, if we're going to end up with the ability to truly own this psalm and understand it for where we are today in our lives, we have to start at the beginning. We have to start at understanding 
what this psalm means to its original audience. The theme of this psalm is found in its very first verse. In fact, maybe you caught that. The very first verse and the very last verse are the exact same. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. This is the theme of the psalm. A psalm of thanksgiving, because God is good, and His goodness is manifested, His goodness is revealed in His everlasting faithfulness, His steadfast love to his people. Yahweh keeps his promises. The Lord keeps his promises. That's the main idea here. The Lord keeps his promises to save his people and to bring his people to their ultimate salvation. The Lord keeps his promises to save his people and bring them to their final salvation. That's what this psalm is about. First, then, I want you to see that this psalm is a call to thanksgiving. A call to thanksgiving for God's people. The speaker, who we will get to in just a minute... The speaker is calling someone to give thanks. Who's being called to give thanks? Who is he calling to be filled with thanksgiving? You find that in verse 2 through 4. Look at it there in your Bibles. Hopefully you kept your Bibles open. You didn't close them after our reading. Look at it there, verse 2 through 4. Let Israel say... His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. The psalm then is a call to Israel for them to respond with thanksgiving to the Lord. It is also a call to the priests of Israel, to those who live and work and operate around the temple. They are to respond with thanksgiving. And it is a call to all those who fear Yahweh, all those who fear the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord. And and on what grounds does the psalmist call the people of God to thanksgiving? Did you see it there? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Be filled with thanksgiving because God is good. Now, I could say that this morning. You could say that this morning. God is good. And we would all say, Amen. God is good. The psalmist says, Give thanks because God is good. Did you know that thanksgiving... Thanksgiving is a response. A response to seeing God's goodness and God's grace. I've said this before, but 
Have you ever tried to force someone to thanksgiving or thankfulness? Have you ever taken one of your children and, and told them, you will be thankful? <laughs> Maybe you've gone around at Thanksgiving. What are we all thankful for? And you just get grumbling back. I'm thankful for, I guess, my house. Maybe I'm thankful for my Xbox. I don't know. I'm thankful. There's no thankfulness there. And we force our children to be thankful. We force our children, right? We encourage them, say thank you. Did you know just because you say thank you doesn't mean you're really thankful? But we, we know what it's like to be thankful, don't we? Man, we've had those moments when we're thankful. We're thankful when we are overwhelmed by goodness. When we're overwhelmed by grace. Then we don't have to produce thankfulness. We don't have to produce thanksgiving. It just comes out of us. I can tell you many times as I've sat and watched my children. Or I've looked across the room at my wife. And just overcome by my thankfulness for them. Tears come into my eyes. And my heart rejoices. My heart just says, God, thank you for all that you've given me. And maybe you've had that experience. It's not something that I have to manufacture. It's not something that I have to force. It comes as a response to seeing God's goodness, to seeing God's grace. And that's what the psalmist is calling them to. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good. Why do you say he is good? On what grounds do you say he is good? He's good because his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love. Maybe that's not a term you're familiar with. It doesn't just mean love. It has, it has some more layers to it. This is a common way. Steadfast love in the Psalms is a common way, and throughout the Old Testament is a common way of referring to the Lord's covenant faithfulness. The Lord is faithful to his covenant promises. Maybe, maybe you are not familiar with that term covenant, but it's important that you learn what a covenant means. A covenant is a relationship that is formed by solemn oaths and promises made between two parties. Usually one of those parties is a superior and he is making promises and oaths to an inferior party. And he stakes his honor on those promises. And these promises serve to benefit the one who is in the lesser position. Yahweh has formed a relationship with his people. As the supreme being, he has graciously entered a relationship of covenant with a people that do not deserve it. With a people that did not seek it on their own. With a people 
that are sinful and wicked and fickle and unfaithful. He has entered a relationship of covenant with them. Oh, give thanks to the Lord because he is good. Why? Because Yahweh is faithful to his covenant promises. In spite of wickedness and evil, in spite of sinfulness and unfaithfulness, in spite of the unworthiness of the ones he has entered covenant relationship, he is faithful. And his faithfulness is everlasting. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist calls the people of Israel to give thanks for the faithfulness of Yahweh. Very quickly we see three truths in this call to thanksgiving. We see, number one, that God's people as beneficiaries of grace, as those who benefited from God's goodness, as those who have received grace from God. God's people are to be a people characterized by thanksgiving. It, it, is, a, it is a sad thing indeed when God's people cannot give thanks. It is not fitting when God's people are grumbling, complaining. It is not fitting when God's people have to be coerced and forced into thankfulness. No, thankfulness and thanksgiving is a mark for God's people because we have received great grace, unmerited grace, undeserved favor from the hand of God. And this is the case with Israel. Israel is to be thankful and to live lives of thanksgiving. Secondly, we see that this thanksgiving is a response to goodness and grace. If you want to increase your thankfulness, here's where I'm going with this. If you want to increase your thankfulness, do you know what you need? You need to put your eyes on God's goodness. You need to spend time reflecting on God's goodness and grace to you. I, I was talking with somebody the other day about meditation, and they were telling me they don't know how to meditate. Maybe I've brought this up already. They, they, they were saying, well, I don't know how to meditate. And the truth is, yes, you do. All of us know how to meditate. All of us know how to fixate on something. All of us are filling our minds constantly with all sorts of things. We all meditate daily all the time. What are you thinking on? What are you dwelling on? What are you thinking about? Is that causing you to be thankful? Or is it causing you to be worried and fearful and sad and distressed? What are you thinking on? You want to be thankful? You want to fill your heart and mind with thanksgiving? You need to fix yourself on grace and goodness. That is what will produce it. It's a response to that goodness and grace. Thirdly, we see that this goodness is defined by God's everlasting faithfulness to his covenant promises. He is a God of everlasting faithfulness. And I say this because, and I, I will come back to this in a moment, but 
There are a lot of people who talk about God being good. There are a lot of people who will say, oh, God is good. And surely God is good for many reasons. And his goodness deserves our praise and thanksgiving. God is good because of the material blessings he has given you. God is good because of the physical preservation he has accomplished for you. If you say, well, God is good because I have a job. God is good because I have my health. God is good because I have enough money in the bank. God is good because my relationships are all in a good place. Hey, if you, if you, if you have all your relationships in a good place, come and see me later. Because I want to know how you did that. I don't know anybody who's all, all their relationships are in a good place. But if that's, if that's the grounds for you saying God is good, then good. Good. I'm glad that you can say God is good in those ways. And surely the fact that we have a job and health and money and all these things, this is a taste, a small taste of God's goodness to us. But do you see the problem with that? Do you see the problem with that? God's goodness isn't really defined in the material and physical blessings that we get. Do you know why? Because a lot of people don't have those same physical and material blessings. A lot of people don't have enough money. A lot of people don't have a job that they like. A lot of people have broken relationships. A lot of people have pain, chronic pain that they endure constantly. A lot of people don't have a home that is secure. A lot of people don't have a family where they feel safe. But does that mean that those people in those situations can't also say that God is good? Oh no, God's goodness isn't tied to his physical and material blessings. God's goodness is ultimately tied to his covenant-keeping faithfulness. His goodness is expressed in his steadfast covenant faithfulness. And God is faithful to his people even in the midst of great suffering. God keeps his promises. It's important for us to know what those promises are. It's important for us to know where to look for the goodness of God. If you look to material and physical blessings to see God's goodness, you will see it for sure, but it will not last. That side of grace will come and go. No, our eyes should be fixed on everlasting grace, everlasting faithfulness. So this psalm then is a call to thanksgiving for God's covenant people. Secondly, this psalm is also a song of salvation. A song of salvation. Psalm 118 is a song of salvation in the mouth of one who is calling on God's people, Israel, to give thanks. Notice verse verse 5 through 7. Look down at verse 5. The psalmist says, out of my distress. Do you notice that? That's singular. So this is a call for God's people, plural, to give thanks, but it's in the mouth of an individual. It's in the mouth of a person. And this person says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. 
The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. So this, this psalm speaks of a past salvation from distress as this individual, whoever he is, called on the Lord. It is a song of salvation as Yahweh, the Lord, preserves this individual and the presence of the Lord helps him and aids him as he's going on his way. So much so that he has no fear of anyone. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. This one also has victory over his enemies. Is victorious and triumphs over those who oppose him. So who is, who is the one speaking in this psalm? Well, in the immediate, I believe, it's undoubtedly King David. King David is the one who is singing this psalm and calling the people of God to give thanks. It's the leader of God's people, their king. And as it goes for the king, so it goes for the people. This is why he's calling the people to give thanks for God's covenant-keeping faithfulness because Yahweh has preserved their king. Yahweh has delivered their king and their future and their peace is secure. Here, David recount that victory in verses 10 through 13. Look at it there. He says, All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. It is in the name of the Lord that David is victorious. And the victory that the Lord has accomplished for David by cutting off his enemies has put a song in his mouth. That's what he goes on to say. Look at it there. In verse 14. The Lord, he says, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Now I want to stop on that verse just for a moment. Here we have, here we have uh, evidence or here we have an occasion of an Old Testament figure, David, quoting from the Old Testament. It's important as you're reading your Bible to see if the passage you're reading is quoted somewhere else in the Old Testament. And here, David quotes from somewhere earlier in the Old Testament, namely Exodus 15 2 when he says the Lord is my strength and song he has become my salvation do you, do you know who first said that Exodus 15 2 is a song of salvation that Moses sang after the exodus from Egypt 
So the people of Israel were delivered from Egypt, and as they come out, Moses leads the people in a song of salvation. And this is what he says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So this isn't unique to David's time. This is actually something that that has happened before. Israel has been delivered. Moses has been delivered, and Israel has followed him as their deliverer. And they sing songs of salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. That idea of the wilderness as the people of God lived in tents. Remember? They lived in tents. Not having a home. Not having a final place. But they were able to sing songs of salvation even though they were nomadic. Even though they hadn't found their final place. They're singing songs of salvation in their tents. And what do they sing? What do they sing? You see that? The Lord is the content of their song. That's what it says. The Lord is my strength and my song. You know what? You know what they sing? They sing the Lord. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Not spending much time with this, moving on, but I, I do have to say it's important that our songs of salvation are not about us. Our songs are not about us. Our songs are about the Lord. I think too often people sing songs, quote-unquote Christian songs, that really are just more about me how important I am to God and how valuable I am in God's sight and all of the things that will exalt myself and me. That's not a Christian song. A song of salvation is a song that makes much of his salvation. It makes much of his strength. The content of a true song of salvation is the Lord. He is the content of the song. It's at this point in the psalm, Psalm 118, that we see something interesting. David then goes on to sing of his confidence, verse 17 and 18. He sings of his confidence in the Lord's preservation of him through discipline. If you know the story of David, David experienced discipline at the hand of Yahweh for his sin. As does Israel, on many, many, many occasions, they experience the discipline of the Lord for their sin. But David is confident because of the Lord's faithfulness that the Lord will preserve him through discipline. He will not give him over to final death. He will preserve him and and because of Yahweh's faithfulness, he will live. He will live to recount the deeds of the Lord. Again, it's the Lord's arm that saves him. He has been victorious in the Lord's name. And he sees his difficulties with his enemies as a form of discipline upon him from the Lord's hand. But he is confident that the Lord and his covenant promises will come to pass. He will not be given over to death, but will experience salvation. And why? So that then he can go on to recount the deeds of the Lord. It's at this point then in the psalm, I love this. Verse 19, that the psalmist king, David, 
now returns to the gates of Jerusalem, where, look at it there in verse 19, he comes to the gates of Jerusalem and he says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. So here's the picture. The king has been saved from his enemies. He has led the people in tents of the wilderness, singing songs of salvation as they go on their way to the city of Jerusalem. And there he stands outside of the city and he commands for them to open up the gate. Open the gate to me, I've come. The king is here with the people. And there he is received. As the gate of victory, the Lord's gate, the gate of righteousness, opens for him to enter. He enters the gate with those who are on his side, greeted by a chorus of faithful ones there in the city who are pictured greeting him and surrounding the temple. And here is the portion of the song that they sing. It's interesting, at this point, it goes from singular to plural. Now the song is in the mouths of the people. And they say, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day of their salvation has come. And then they cry out, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And what they are saying is, Finish, Lord, your salvation. The king has come. David is picturing himself going in at the head of a great people, being welcomed into the city where the faithful welcome him in victory. And they cry out, to Yahweh, Yahweh, finish your salvation now. Conclude it. Do all that you've promised us that you would do. Finish it off. Bring us to final salvation. And David then goes into the city as they cry out, Blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord, from the place of the temple. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. He has given us his favor. He has brought us salvation. Bind the festal sacrifices, the sacrifice of celebration with cords up to the horns of the altar. We're going to go to the house of the Lord and worship there. Worship Yahweh because it is his salvation. It has all been done in his name. The king then in this psalm has experienced a rejection but he has returned victorious and this is attributed to the marvelous working of the lord the day of their salvation has come they are rejoicing in it the king has been victorious and now the kingdom is secure it is the day that the lord has made let us rejoice be glad in it the king then finishes the song with a personal, personal commitment to the Lord. He says, you are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. And then he calls once again, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. So this psalm is a call to thanksgiving. This psalm is also a song of salvation for God's people. And thirdly, this psalm is a prayer of faith. We've got to hurry. I've got quite a bit more to go. That's not good, is it? 
It's a prayer of faith. This prayer, this psalm, Psalm 118, is placed in the book of Psalms very purposefully. This may come as as a surprise to you, maybe not, but the Psalms are not just randomly arranged one-offs. Okay, the Psalms, the book of Psalms are, are not just a collection of loosely, haphazardly arranged, one-off Psalms. They have been arranged very purposefully. And Psalm 118 stands, in its position, stands in what's called book five of the book of Psalms. So Psalms has five books. If you didn't know that, well now you know. The Psalms actually is five books. And those five books recount the history, really, of Israel, finishing with a return from exile. So book five is the book that pictures the enthronement of the king and the return of God's people from exile to worship in the presence of the king. That's what you see in Psalm 110, there in book five, the enthronement of the sun king at the right hand of Yahweh. And here in Psalm 118, there's so much more. I mean, I, I, I have to like not geek out on this, but there's so much more here. Just take my word for it. This is a picture of the return from exile. And this is how the people in, in Israel would have sung this psalm. Isaiah picks up on that. Isaiah 12, 2. Isaiah 11 and 12 speaks of the new exodus that's coming for God's people. They experienced an exodus from Egypt where God delivered them, and they sang songs of salvation. David here is pictured as being delivered from enemies, leading God's people to the glorious city of Jerusalem, where they sing songs of salvation. But Isaiah 12 says that there is another day coming, and it actually quotes the same passage, where it says, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Speaking of the future day of salvation for God's people. Again, I don't know if you picked up on that. I kind of hinted at it just a moment ago, but this psalm details a journey. It starts with God's king and God's people being surrounded by their enemies. That's where they live, surrounded by their enemies. God gives them salvation. They are rescued and delivered. And then they live in tents as they journey on their way to their final place, to their final salvation. And as they go on their way, they sing songs of salvation until the day they approach the city gates where their king, at their lead, commands for the gates of the city to be open to him and for all those people that he's leading. And he leads his people into the city where they then will go to the temple and they will worship in the presence of Yahweh. It's a journey psalm. And it encapsulates the story of the people of Israel. And it shows their expectation. You know, Psalm 118 in David's day had not come to final fruition. It had not come to its final day. But they longed for that day. And they prayed for that day by faith. It's a prayer of expectation. A prayer built on the belief that the Lord will fulfill his covenant promises. 
It's a call to give thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness to these promises, and it's a song of salvation for God's people as they make their way to Zion, the city of God, where their king will lead them in triumphant procession to the temple where they will worship Yahweh. What a glorious picture that is, isn't it? Psalm 118. The king leading God's people to their final salvation. Yahweh keeps his promises to save his people and to bring them to their final salvation. It was a call of thanksgiving to thanksgiving for Israel. It was a song of salvation for Israel and a prayer of faith. But, and this is why I've chosen this psalm for today, that day, the day that Psalm 118 speaks of, that day came. That day came. And the people of Israel missed it. As glorious as that psalm is, it's equaled by the sadness and the tragedy that this day, this is the day that the Lord has made, the day of final salvation, the day of their triumphant king entering Jerusalem. That day came and the people missed it. I want you to very quickly turn to two places. Matthew 21 and Luke 19. Matthew 21 and Luke 19. Very quickly, this is Palm Sunday. Jesus is placed on a donkey, which by the way, people talk about that being a sign of peace, and it is, but a donkey is actually a kingly steed. This is what a king would have ridden as he was coronated, uh, coronated or as he was exalted as king, okay? It's, it's the donkey or the mule that the king rides in peace. So he is saying something by riding a donkey. He's saying, not just I've come in peace, but no, he's saying I am king, the king that Zechariah has anticipated. Verse 8 of Matthew 21, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him, this is Jesus, they followed him, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Hosanna. You find that in Psalm 118, verse 25, when it says, Save us now, O Lord. Save us, O Lord, we pray. That's that word, Hosanna. Save us. They are shouting out in prayer to Jesus, Save us. Bring us to our final salvation. Hosanna. King. Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, the people are quoting Psalm 118. Hosanna in the highest. Look over at Luke 19. You'll see the same. But I want to point out one additional piece. Verse 38. They were all rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Verse 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now go down to verse 41. Verse 41. Well, let me read 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, they understood what they were saying. They understood what these people were saying. They said, Rebuke your disciples. He said, I tell you, if these were silent... 
the very stones would cry out. You cannot keep me from being glorified. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city. I don't know if you've seen this before, but when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, he's talking to Israel, Jerusalem. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The religious leaders of that day confront him. He gives them a parable about the wicked tenants and it's there that he quotes to them. He quotes back to them. He, in, he enters the city as they shout out Psalm 118 to him. And then as the religious leaders oppose him, he quotes back Psalm 118 to them. And he says, don't you know what's written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus fulfills Psalm 118. He comes to the city where he is greeted by a throng of people. They quote Psalm 118, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He weeps over them and mourns for them because this was their day. This is the day that the Lord had made. They were to rejoice in it and they missed it. And then, do you know what he does? He goes to the temple. Just as it's pictured in Psalm 118, he goes to the temple. But what does he do at the temple? There's not worship that happens in the temple, but he has to clean house. He goes to the temple and he cleans out the false worship going on there. And then he gives Psalm 118 back to the leaders and in essence is saying, this kingdom, this victory that was to be yours is now going to be given to someone else. And a few days later, a few days later, he will go to the cross where surrounded by his enemies, he will be disciplined, but not for sin of his own, for the sin of his people. He will be disciplined for sin that was not his. But then in victory he will rise again and he will live. And in this rejection, the rejection of Israel, while the leaders of Israel did not see him as fit for their purposes, they did not see him as fit for their king, he was fit for the purposes of God. He has become the chief cornerstone in the building that God is making. A new people. He has accomplished something unexpected with the rejection of their king. The Jewish people haven't been rejected. Important. The Jewish people have not been rejected. And yet, with their rejection of their king, Jesus, God has worked to include the Gentiles 
The Jewish people have rejected their day of visitation, but in that rejection, he has, through his death and resurrection, worked for the salvation of his people, and gloriously he has now included you and me. You and I are now able to be his people. You and I now can sing Psalm 118 as our psalm. You and I can now give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his faithful covenant-keeping promises. He is faithful to his covenant. Those outside of the covenant promises have been included. Jesus fulfills Psalm 118. You and I have been made part of the covenant promises, not by birth, but by the new birth. Amen. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this psalm. Very quickly, Jesus is the evidence of God's goodness. Do you want to see grace? I asked earlier. Do you want to see goodness? Fix your eyes on Jesus. That is what will produce thanksgiving. That is what will produce thankfulness. Jesus is the evidence. He is the reason to give thanks. Jesus, as the psalm has said, Jesus has set us free. We have nothing to fear. What can man do to me? I fear no man because Jesus is my king. He is my savior. He is my confidence. Jesus is our refuge. It is better to find refuge in Jesus than to trust in man. It is better to find refuge in Jesus than to trust in princes or your favorite preacher or your politician or whatever strength you may possess. It is better to find refuge in Jesus. Jesus... Jesus has brought the nations into submission. Oh, there's so much here I wish I could uncover, but when it says, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off, that victory of the king, this is Jesus' victory. And in the name of the Lord, he has brought the nations into submission. He has brought the peoples of the earth to worship him. Jesus is our song. He is the one we sing of. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus has been exalted. Jesus was put to death. He was disciplined for our sake. And Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. He He alone can say to the city, open the gates of righteousness and let all those who are righteous enter into it. Oh, it's not because of our righteousness that we can enter into that city. I asked someone that the other day, on what grounds would you say God should let you into heaven? It's not by your righteousness he's going to let you in. You are not a good person. You are not faithful. You are not covenant-keeping. 
It is his righteousness. Jesus himself leads us every day. Jesus leads us in triumphal procession to that city. Did you know he's leading you today to that city? He is our chief cornerstone. He is God's light to us. He is the evidence of God's favor towards us. Jesus is our assurance of that day. And there is coming a day of final salvation. Jesus is our assurance. All of the promises of God, all of the promises of God, find their yes and amen in Jesus. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Why? Because He keeps His covenant promises, and He has done so in Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled the promises of the covenant. And we are His people So this psalm is for us a call to thanksgiving. It's a call to thanksgiving. I'll simply ask, are you today content with Jesus? Is your life marked by the giving of thanks? Or would it be true to say that your life is more about complaining and grumbling fixating on the things you do not have, wondering why God has been so cruel to you in your relationships or in your finances or in your station in life. How blinded we are. Are you content with Jesus? Or do you need more? Do you believe that you need more than that to be satisfied? Jesus is nice, but, uh, you know, I do need more than that. This psalm calls you to thanksgiving for God's goodness manifested in the person of Jesus. It's also a song of salvation for us as we dwell in tents. Did you know this is not our final place? We are on a journey. We are on a road. We are on our way somewhere. Where are we headed? As Pilgrim Christian was headed to the celestial city. That's where we're headed. And it's a dangerous road. It's a road that is not to be taken lightly. Full of traps and full of deceiving schemes of the enemy. But we dwell in the tents of the righteous with songs of salvation. And these songs keep us going as we go. Did you know, and I, listen, singing is such an important part of the Christian experience in the Christian life. Can I encourage you not to be late to the service on Sunday morning? I mean that. I mean that. Don't be late. I mean, we push it back to nine o'clock just for you. (laughs) Right? Be here. Be here early. Be here ready to sing. And if we don't pick the songs that you like, it's not about you. I know that may be news to some of you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. So you know what you do with the song that you don't like? Hey, do you think every song we sing is a song I like? No, 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 no. 
my playlist would not be to anybody's taste, okay? And not because they're a little too high church for everybody, probably. But you know what I, I try to focus on? Where is Jesus proclaimed in this? Where is his goodness? Where is, where is his grace evidenced? And I can get behind that, even if it's not to the tune I like, or even if it's not my style. I want to sing about Jesus with God's people. That's what we're here to do. Be here early for that. Be excited about that. He is our song. Jesus is our song of salvation. And this psalm for us is a prayer of faith. As I just said, we have not arrived. We have not reached that city yet. But he is faithful. And he will accomplish it. And we long for that day. That day where we will rejoice and our king will lead us into the celestial city and we will worship in his presence forevermore. Can I ask you, and usually we don't save it right to the end, but can I ask you, are you ready for that day? Can you rejoice in that day? How's your life working out for you? Focused on you, focused on yourself. How's that working out? As you travel the weary road that is the human existence or human experience. We are headed to the day, the final day of salvation. Yahweh keeps his promises to save his people and to bring their final salvation to pass. Can you rejoice in that? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and King today? Have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone, his death and his resurrection as your only way of salvation? Don't miss, like Israel did, don't miss that day. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks to you, for you are good. Your covenant promises have been fulfilled in Jesus. And we rejoice in him. We pray for those who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, who trust in themselves, who trust in their own strength, who trust in their own wisdom, who trust in their own good works, we pray for them that they would turn from trusting in man to find refuge in you alone, Jesus. I pray for this church that we would rejoice in you, Lord, in Jesus our Savior, who has saved us and is taking us to that final salvation. Yahweh, you are good. Salvation has been accomplished in your name, in your Son. And we thank you for that. Make us a people of thanksgiving. Set our hope on Jesus alone as we go to that city.
where we will join in worship with all of those who have prayed for that final salvation in Jesus. Pray all this in your name. Amen.